Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can gather together this evening. We thank you for the freedoms that we currently enjoy and uh, for the nutritious food that we uh, have enjoyed this evening and for this time of fellowship. And Father, we just uh, pray this evening as we take this time to look into your word, uh, to consider uh, this doctrine, this, uh, this uh, study that relates to our spiritual development. Father, we just pray that we will be sensitive to the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the biblical text, and we pray that we will be challenged uh, by these things that we might grow thereby. We ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight's lesson is going to be number 11 in, uh, in a series uh, that we've been doing on the spiritual life. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for one more lesson. We will uh, put a bow on the spiritual life uh, next week. So that'll be lesson 12, and that'll be the last lesson. Then we're going to get back into Deuteronomy, because we've been several months without Deuteronomy. Or, that's been on hold. We only have four chapters left to go through that, so I'm going to get back to that to put a bow on that, so we can wrap that up as well. And uh, the part of the reason why I broke away was one... Uh, we were addressing issues in the book of Deuteronomy that related to how Israel related to God under the Mosaic Law Code. And we were talking about the blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy 28 and some of the aspects of how the Israelite living under the Mosaic Law Code related to God. And so then it raised questions, well, how do we relate to God? You know, what system are we under? And so that got us into studying the spiritual life. It also gave me time to finish up uh, my book, uh, Tares Among the Wheat, Living Righteously in a Fallen World, and, uh, and also some other projects I've been working on, trying to get some videos uh, published and put out. So I've always got like eight or nine things going. And just when I think I've got everything uh, manageable, uh, I get handed a writing project. So uh, looks like I'm going to be working on another large project, uh, writing project here over the next year. So we'll see how that goes. But tonight in our lesson, we're going to talk about the element of time. And time is a key feature of our Christian life. Uh, because as we are studying God's Word, we are learning it. And again, I've made the comment on a number of occasions that we cannot live what we do not know. And that learning God's Word necessarily precedes living God's will. 2 Timothy 2.15 directs us to study to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, <clears throat> rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed uh, and profitable. It's profitable to us for doctrine, that is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped, unto all good works. Well, I want to be trained in righteousness. Well, that's what the Word of God gives me. It gives me that knowledge base. And I want to produce good works. Well, the Word of God equips me to that end. Uh, Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And Hebrews ten thirty eight, God says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And Hebrews 11, 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
And so as Christians, we come and we want to understand the Word of God, that we might walk with the Lord, that we might know what His will is. And, and so we've been, you know, we've been on this course of studying the Scriptures, and that's one of the reasons why I'm a Bible teacher, because I want to get into the text. I want to know what does the text say? What, does, what has the Word of God revealed? But once we learn it, uh, we must then apply it. And so there's a phase two to the Christian life. There's a, there's a, there's, it's like a two-step process. First is learning it, and then living it. And of course, I think of in Matthew 7, 24 and following, where Jesus says, the man who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came and, and blew against that house, it stood. But you notice it's the man who hears the word and does them. Jesus likens to a wise man. And then he goes on, he says, but the man who hears my words and does not do them. So it is possible to hear and even to understand, but then not do it. Jesus said, that man is like a fool who built his house upon the sand. And when the storms came, it crashed against that house, and of course it came down. And this is why James 1.22 directs us, he says, Be ye doers of the word, and not merely hearers only who delude themselves. So it really is that two-step process of learning it, and then by faith, living it. That is, putting it into action in whatever area of life it speaks to. But as we engage in the Christian life, as we learn what the Scriptures say, and as we walk by faith, obeying the Word of God, and following the leading of the Holy Spirit, who brings this to our mind, who illumines our minds, and helps us not only to understand the biblical text, but also brings it to our minds at key points so that we can apply it. Because remember, Jesus said in the upper room in the Gospel of John that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he will bring to your remembrance my words, Jesus said. And so the Spirit has a ministry not only of illuminating and helping us to understand the Word of God, but also a, a recall ministry where he recalls that to our mind. And the reason that I bring this up is that as we are living uh, out the Christian life, as we are walking by faith, we are growing, we are advancing. And the Bible talks about infant believers. It talks about baby believers, newborns. But then it also talks about mature believers. And so I think of like um, 1 Peter 2, 2, where Peter says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you might grow in respect to your salvation. So again, he says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you might grow in respect to your salvation, because God wants us to grow up. Uh, just like any parent wants their children to grow up and to become mature and fully functioning, responsible adults in the world. And Lord knows we need fully functioning, responsible adults. Our country seems to be in great uh, spiritual and moral decline and I'm not sure how much longer that can go uh, before that collapses, but uh, anyway, that's another subject for another day. But, you know, a parent wants their child to grow up, and God wants us to grow up. And we've talked about the various things that in this series of lessons that will help us in our growth. And if we apply these things, if we apply these things to our life, we will grow. But this lesson here, and next week we're going to talk about uh, the final phase of this, which has to do with our, our, our spiritual worship to the Lord, and we'll talk about what that entails. 
but in this section here, we're looking at the element of time. Because if all the other steps are in place, if everything else is in place and we're walking that walk, then in order for us to grow up and to reach maturity, there has to be the element of time. You just need time to grow. And God is so patient, and he is so kind, and he is long-suffering, and he is slow to anger, and he's so quick to forgive, and he is so good that way. And, uh, and so, you know, as long as we're trending in that direction, there's so much grace uh, that we experience as believers. And, uh, and I'm very thankful for that personally, uh, because God has been overwhelmingly gracious to me. And uh, I just, I'm very, very thankful for that. So without any uh, further introduction, let's go ahead and jump into this here. And let's talk about uh, taking advantage of the time that God gives us. So the Bible teaches that God has assigned a limited amount of time for each of us, uh, to, for, for us to live in this world. In Psalm 139, verse 16, this is a verse that I use uh, at times when I have had to uh, uh, teach at a funeral. And in Psalm 139, verse 16, David says, In your book were all written the days that were ordained for my life, when as yet there was not one of them. Another translation reads that all the days of my life were ordained, when as yet there was not one of them. And what that means is that God has a hand in each of our lives. And he is involved in the development of every fetus in the womb from conception on. And David speaks about this. He speaks about how God formed him while he was in the womb, formed his inward parts. And so God has a hand in the development of that fetus in the womb. And of course, Psalm 100 verse 3 says, it is the Lord God who has made us and not we ourselves. And of course, Ecclesiastes 12, 7 speaks of the, of the body returning to the dust and the spirit, the Ruach, returning to God who gave it. And so God is the one who imparts that soul life. And so when you come into this world, you come into this world as part of God's plan now, your parents may not have been conscious <laughs> at the time you were conceived. And I think many children were not planned <laughs> that came into this world. But that's all right. God knows. And he's in absolute, complete control. And God never makes a mistake. And he never imparts uh, soul life to any person by accident. Everything God does is, is uh, intentional and part of his plan. And so when somebody comes into the world, they are born into the world at the exact time and place that God intends. And this is true even for Jesus. In Galatians 4.4, Paul makes the comment about how Christ was born at the right time. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. But he was, Paul says he was born at the right time. And so the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and we call that parthenogenesis, is the technical term. It means virgin conception uh, is what's going on there. And of course, Mary is the mother of the humanity of Jesus. Uh, the, the technical term for that is called uh, Christotokos. Christotokos, and it means that she's the bearer of the humanity of Christ. But when Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, that was all part of God's plan because Jesus came into the world at the exact time that God the Father intended. 
And it was all part of his plan. And so at that moment, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, took upon himself humanity. And so we have the beginning of what is in in theology we call the doctrine of the hypostatic union, which teaches that Jesus is undiminished deity combined together forever with perfect humanity. He's the God-man. He's the theanthropic person is who he is. But my point is, is that everybody comes into this world at exactly the time that God intends. And God could have placed me in the world uh, 4,000 years ago. I could have been born in Egypt uh, under Pharaoh, you know, at the time of the Exodus. I mean, you know, I mean, a bunch of things could have happened, which, well, that would have been 3,500 years ago. Um, But the point is, is that God could have placed me anywhere in the world at any time, but he placed me here. Because he has a plan for each and every one of us. And, And from beginning to end, he has cordoned off the days of our life. And so that's what David is getting at here in Psalm 139, verse 16, where he says, You have ordained all the days of my life, when as yet there was not one of them. And so nobody comes into this world a minute early or late, and nobody leaves this world a minute early or late. Job said in Job 14, 5, that a person's days are determined. The number of his months is with you. And David said in Psalm 39, 4, he said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. And Paul said in Acts 17.26 that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And so God not only has say over the time that we come into this world, but the boundaries of our habitation, where we are born, what country we grow up in, who our parents are, and all these sorts of things. And so God has a say in our coming into the world and with regard to the days of our life. Now, how we use our time, how we use the time that God gives us is a matter of personal choice. You see, this is where our walk with God means that we must participate. We are called to obey his directives. We are called to be good stewards of the resources. And, you know, I have a home that God has given to me and Sherry, and we we got this home fully with the intention of using it for ministry purposes, that we could invite other believers to our home, that we could treat them in love and in kindness, that we could display hospitality, and that we could uh, use this as a platform for Bible study. And for ministry, it's where I record my videos and my podcasts, and it becomes a, just a place for service. And as I heard somebody once say, facilities facilitate ministry. Facilities facilitate ministry. Well, that's, not, that's true for a church facility, a building, but that's also true for a home. Because any facility can be used for God's purposes, for His glory. But we want to be good stewards of the resources that God has given to us whether that's a home or whether that's a car or whether that's finances. But we must also understand time as a resource. We must understand time as a resource. And so concerning our use of time, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, he says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, I worked on this throughout the week, and I thought I would do some exegetical analysis and pull out some of the uh, Greek words that are found here and look at the, at the form of the verbs. 
So Paul starts this instruction with the Greek verb blepo, blepo, which the NASB, which is the translation that I use, uh, translates it as be careful, be careful. Now the Greek word blepo basically denotes perception with the eyes. And so we think of, of, of looking or perceiving or seeing with the eyes. So the word basically denotes perception with the eyes, but here refers to one's mental state of alertness. Uh, which, according to Lo and Nida, which is a, a, a lexicon, a lexicon is just a technical word for a dictionary. And so, according to this uh, Greek dictionary by Lo and Nida, it means, quote, to be ready to learn about future dangers or needs with the implication of preparedness to respond appropriately, to be aware of, to watch out for, to pay attention to, end quote. Now, the form of the verb is in the present tense. Uh, it's also in the active voice and in the imperative mood. And you say, okay, well, Steve, what does that mean? Well, the present tense means that our being alert is to be an ongoing action. In other words, it's not a one-and-done deal. We are to be in a continual state of being alert, being careful. And the active voice means the subject produces the action of the verb. So it is produced by the Christian. In other words, we have the responsibility uh, to implement this. And then the fact that it's in the imperative mood, that's the mood of command. And remember, there's always three things about a Greek in the imperative mood. And one is, is that it assumes intellectual capacity, that you understand the directive. It, it assumes volitional capacity, that you have the ability to obey the directive. And it assumes present and or future opportunity, because you cannot command past action. So when he says, be alert, when he says, be careful, uh, be on the alert... This is something that we are commanded to follow. Now, there's a reason for this. Now, specifically, we are to be mindful about how we walk in this world because he says, be careful. He says, be careful. Let me get this passage up over here on the side so I can keep it in front of me. He says, be careful with regard to what? How you walk. He says, be careful how you walk. Now, the word walk translates the Greek uh, verb peripateo. Peripateo, uh, which is actually a metaphor for conduct. When we talk about somebody's walk in life, we're talking about uh, not the physical act of walking. Here it's a metaphor for our behavior, for our conduct. And it really, if you want to get it down, it has to do with what we think, what we say, and what we do. And he tells us here, he says, be careful how you walk. Notice what he says, not as unwise men, but as wise now, to walk unwisely translates the Greek word asophos. Asophos, here it's the adjective, asophos. And what you'll notice here is that you have what's called the negative prefix, the alpha negative prefix. And anytime you see the alpha on the front of a word like this, what it does is it negates it. Uh, we think of it like, in, like if I think of theism. Theism means a belief in God. But if I were to put the negative prefix, the, the alpha, on the front of that, and I were to speak about atheism or an atheist, it negates it. And so it takes somebody from being a, the a theist to being an atheist. In other words, they don't believe in that. So the word for wisdom here is the Greek word sophos, sophos. And, uh, and we see it actually in words like sophomore. You ever heard of a sophomore? In high school? Well, well that, that's kind of a fun word, actually, 
because it's a compound word. Uh, the word sophos means wise, uh, and the word moros means fool. Uh, and you've heard of a moron. I'm sure you've heard of a moron. I assume you have. Uh, well, a sophomore is literally a wise fool, you see. And you say, well, well why, why call them that? Because they have enough education that they have some wisdom, but they don't have enough education, so they're still a fool. <laughs> so they're called a sophomore. And, and so now, now you know what that word means. But from the word sophos, there's the word we get for wisdom. And so like in the word philosophy, philos means love of, and sophos means wisdom. So philosophy is the love of wisdom. And here, Paul gives the directive with regard to our daily walk in this world. We are, we are to be careful how we walk, not as unwise, uh, not as asophos, that is, those who are devoid of wisdom. Not, we are to walk not, un, uh, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, when he says here uh, to walk unwisely, uh, that is a possibility for any Christian. It is a possibility for any Christian to walk unwisely. Otherwise, the statement is superfluous. It's, it's meaningless. Now, the adjective asophos, according to Badag, which is another Greek lexicon, it's just by the Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich, a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, uh, they define it as, quote, one who lacks the power of proper discernment, unwise, foolish, end quote. And by the way, let me say here that the fool is not necessarily one who does not reason, but who reasons wrongly, you see, and so he lacks God's word as a reference point for reality and divine viewpoint. He lacks God's word as a reference point for reality and divine viewpoint. So he's operating only by human viewpoint. But as Christians, we are to be wise, sophos, which denotes operating from divine viewpoint. It means that we take in the word of God, uh, which gives us insights into realities that we could never know, except that God has spoken and uh, what he has spoken has been written down, it's been inscripturated, so we have this for us. We can, we can go, we can read it, we can, we can study it for ourselves. So as Christians, we are to possess and operate by the revelation of God's word, which gives us insights into realities that we could never know except that God has spoken. And his word directs every aspect of our lives, whether that's marriage, family, friends, work, finances, etc., and one of the things I love about the Word of God is, and, and I did a lesson here, a series, uh, about a year and a half ago on angels and demons. And this is one of those things that once you begin to study these things, it, you know, the, the Word of God pulls back the curtain and it gives us those glimpses into realities, again, that we could never know, except that God has spoken these things. So it is, it is so much to our advantage to be in possession of God's Word and to have that flowing in the stream of our consciousness. Now, when we operate by divine viewpoint, we will prioritize our lives in such a way that God is glorified, others are edified, and we are sanctified. By living this way, we are making the most of our time uh, knowing that the days are evil. Now, the word making here, I thought this was interesting. The word making here translates the Greek verb ex agorazo. Now, the word agorazo is the word for the marketplace, the agora. Uh, and if you've heard of somebody who suffers from agoraphobia, have you ever heard of that? 
somebody who suffers from agoraphobia. It means they have a fear of open spaces. Okay, so, so they don't like open spaces or they don't like public spaces where a lot of people congregate because the agora uh, or the agorazo was the marketplace. It was the place in the center of the city where everybody went to go buy their bread and their fish and, and, their, and their grain and their vegetables and their fruits. And I mean, there, there would be lots and lots of people there. When you went into the marketplace, it was a very busy place. Well, when you went in and you bought something, uh, then it was ex agorazo. You would go in and you would... Uh, haggle for a price, and you would walk out. Well, you 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 purchased it, and you walked out with it. And so the word making here translates the Greek verb uh, ex agorazo, and ex meaning out of. We see it like in the word exit, uh, so it means out of. And so this is actually a commercial term that denotes purchasing an item from a market. Now, Grant Osborne, uh, in his uh, commentary on Ephesians, he says, quote, the verb is a commercial metaphor used for purchasing a commodity, and it implies a period of vigorous trading while there is profit to be made. Here, he goes on, he says, the intention is that we will use our time wisely, making every opportunity count, end quote. So what it means is that when we think about time, we think about time as a commodity that must be treated as valuable, What's interesting is the form of the verb is present tense and middle voice, and that means that the present tense implies ongoing action, and the middle voice means that we exercise our volition in such a way that we participate in the action and benefit from it. And what we are to regard as as a precious commodity is time. Time. Which here translates the Greek word kairos. Now, there's two words for time. There's the word chronos, which we think of like as chronology, And then there's the word kairos, and kairos uh, really speaks more of opportunity. And so the word kairos here denotes opportunities that God places in our path. The same word is used in Colossians 4-5, where Paul says, Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And there's our Greek word kairos. And Paul uses the same word again over in Galatians 6.10 where he says, So then while we have opportunity, there's kairos, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now the question arises, why must we be so careful about the opportunities God provides? Paul's answer was because the days are evil. So living in a fallen world means that evil is always around us seeking to draw us away from God and the stable ground of his word. As Christians, we are to be on the alert, uh, and this because evil people and spiritual traps abound. Listen, Satan is a brilliant strategist, and he looks for soft targets. He looks for people that he can exploit and take advantage of. So as Christians, we are to be on the alert because evil people and spiritual traps abound. And believers who are ignorant of God's word and or not paying attention to their activities become soft targets for Satan's forces. And I thought about this, and I've actually got a footnote in here. Let me read the footnote here. So this principle, by the way, is true for life. For enemy forces on the battlefield or criminals in the city look for soft targets they can exploit for their own agenda. Knowing the enemy is present, understanding his tactics, maintaining personal preparedness, and staying alert makes you a hard target uh, which mitigates injury. 
I remember talking with a, a man some years ago who was over in Afghanistan. And, of course, he was trained. You know, he went through boot camp, and he was trained, and uh, he was sent over to Afghanistan. He was employed, uh, deployed over there. And as long as he was in his camp, there was relative safety there. But once he stepped outside of camp and he was out in the, in the field, uh, he had to be on a heightened state of alert uh, because there were enemies around. And sometimes you couldn't, he would say you couldn't tell who was the friend and who was the foe because they all dressed the same. Whereas we're out there in our military attire, but he said you don't know. And you don't know if you're going to run across uh, an IED, you know, uh, an explosive device, you know, that could cause great harm. So you have to be very, very mindful. You have to be on a heightened state of alert because you're in uh, a place where there are enemies. And so it's that heightened state of being alert. That, that's true in the city as well. And I remember here a few months ago, it was uh, interesting, and I was uh, uh, listening to a, a journalist who was interviewing uh, these, uh, these serial criminals who had been in and out of prison and had a lifestyle of, of committing crime, and apparently they weren't going to change their ways. But he was interviewing some of these criminals and was asking them about, well, who do you look for? And, uh, and he began to use language similar to soft target and hard target. And he was, they were watching a video. And there was a video of people walking down the street in New York, and it was busy. And so they were saying, well, who would you pick out? Who's a soft target? And uh, they would say, well, here's this guy. He's walking along, and he's, he's looking down, and he's on his cell phone, and he's distracted, and he's not paying attention. He's a soft target. And here's another guy over here, and, he's, and he, just, he just has a dejected look, and he, just, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't look like he's in very good physical shape, and he's round-shouldered and doesn't have, uh, he doesn't carry himself confidently. And, uh, and, uh, and I like that watch he has on, and, you know, he's a soft target. But then they had this other guy who was walking along who was standing straight, who was looking around, and um, had a nice suit on. And they said, well, yeah, he's got stuff that we would love to have, but that's a hard target. Because he's alert, and he would be more likely to see us coming, and he appears to be in shape. And then there was another guy that they spotted, and they said, well, he's not in that great of shape, but he's got a bulge on his side, and we don't know if that's a cell phone or a, or a six-hour P365, 9mm, 10 plus 1. And so, you know, again, they're analyzing, they're looking, but they're looking for soft targets, and they're looking for hard targets. And obviously, they want to take advantage of people. Well, the world in which we live has not only dangers in the human realm, but there are dangers in the spiritual realm as well, because there are, there are fallen angels called demons, evil spirits, wicked spirits. Uh, they go by a number of names in the Bible. But they're looking for soft targets. And so I go back to my comment here that believers who are ignorant of God's Word uh, and or not paying attention to their activities become soft targets for Satan's forces. And so we have to be careful, and that's the idea behind what Paul is communicating here when he says, be careful, be on the alert, because the days are evil, and there are threats around us. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around in a, in a state of heightened fear, and that's not it, but it means that you are sober-minded, that you realize that you, that you live in enemy territory, <laughs> that you live in a fallen world. This is Satan's fallen world. Remember, three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. Now, that's a temporary arrangement because God in his sovereignty permits it for a time. 
And he keeps Satan on a leash. Remember, Satan is not free to run around, do as he pleases. He has to get permission. He had to get permission uh, when he wanted to uh, attack Job, and God permitted that for his reasons. Remember in the Gospel of Luke that even Jesus told Peter, he says, Satan has come and has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. Uh, and so, but uh, Satan has to get permission, but there are times where we are tested, and sometimes we can put ourselves in a vulnerable spot. We can put ourselves outside the will of God. And listen, there's no safer place to be than in the will of God. There's absolutely no safer place to be than in the will of God. But this requires us as believers to be, to be studious, to be in the Word, to be studying the Word, and to be walking by faith, uh, constantly being mindful that we live in a fallen world. And so again, three times Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 describes him as the god of this world. Ephesians 2.2 2 describes him as the prince of the power of the air. Um, 1 John 5.19 says that, that, that we are of God, but that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In Isaiah 14.12, Satan is described as one who, who has weakened the nations. Revelation 12.9 tells us that he deceives the world. And this speaks of the scope of his influence. And so Satan works and he develops strategies that he has become very effective at. And so we have to be careful as believers to be careful how we walk, not as unwise, or, uh, but as wise. And this means that we are making the most of our time, again, because the days are evil. And so this is not only with regard to being good stewards of our time so that we can be effective in ministry, but also so that we can continue our walk with the Lord and our advance to spiritual maturity. And I know I'm one of these people, I want to I make the most of my time. Now, those of you that know me know that since, uh, since uh, 2004, it has been a habit of mine to come home, go to bed at 6 o'clock, get up around 2 a.m., and then I begin to get into the Word, and my study time runs from about 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And, and so I, that is my habit practically every day. Uh, and so there might be one day of the week, like right now, I'm, I'm up late. This is late for me. I'm pushing it right now. It's 6.35, and, uh, and this, is, this is really late for me. So, but it is a discipline. Now, not everybody can do that. Not everybody has a life that, that they can devote themselves. But you have to have some time that you can set aside as a discipline. And remember, one of the things I talked about very early on in this study is that much of the spiritual life is about discipline. It's about a discipline of the mind and a discipline of the will. And that you structure your life in such a way that God and his word become central to who you are and that you make time. And you really have to be a good steward because, again, uh, time is a resource. It's a commodity. And you have to manage your time well. And you will find that the most, just very practically speaking, you will find that the most successful people in life are people who learn to manage their time well. Now, there's other things that they do. They get good hydration. They get good nutrition. They get good exercise, good socialization. And they, they learn to say yes to this job. And they learn to say no because they know what their capacities are. They know what they can handle. And so there's wisdom in that. But that is a habit of mine. And so when I get up in the morning, uh, first thing out of bed is I'm thanking God. I've learned to discipline my mind that those are my first thoughts to start the day. I come to the Lord in prayer. I'm in his word for hours. And then when I go off to work, I've got a 20-minute drive in. So I'm praying the whole time. I'm praying for the president, vice president, the House, the Senate, moving on down to the state representatives, praying for my family, praying for my business, uh, praying for my church, praying for my Bible study friends. Uh, and so I've got a checklist of, of just a 
discipline, just people I pray for. I get to work. Uh, there's a guy that I meet. There in the morning, we usually have about a 20, 30-minute conversation about theology. We're talking about all sorts of stuff. And throughout the day, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about Scripture. I'm talking about Scripture with clients that I meet. And it's just part of the natural flow, but I want the Word of God to be integrated into every aspect of my life. And that's intentional. That's intentional. Now, some people don't want to hear it, and that's fine. Uh, you don't ram, cram, or jam uh, the Bible down people's throats. There's no place for that. God is a perfect gentleman, and he doesn't do that, and neither should we. And uh, remember 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, and with gentleness, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So, but my point is, is just over time, you learn to take advantage of the time. And you try to have as positive an impact as you can, as biblical an impact, that's a better word, you try to have as biblical an impact as you can upon other people around you. And you want it to be gracious, you want it to be truthful, you want it to be loving, you want it to be kind. And, uh, and those that are positive to God will respond to that, and those that are negative won't, that's fine. You want to be the light, and you're told to be the light. You're told to let your light shine. Well, you know, the same sun that softens wax hardens clay. And there's nothing wrong with the light. It's the material that it falls on. And you'll find that you'll get both responses. Some people will respond positively to you. They'll, they'll soften to that. And other people will get hardened to that. Okay, well, that's, that's part of your Christian walk. You'll learn that too. But as believers, we are to take advantage of the time. And this not only to help us in our spiritual walk with the Lord, but also to be careful Again, not to walk as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, concerning the phrase evil days, Harold Honer, who has a commentary on Ephesians, and it's about 15 inches thick. I'm just kidding. It's a, it is a big commentary, though. Uh, it's, a, it's a life work of his, actually. It's a, it's a brilliant commentary, very, very well written. Uh, but in his commentary, he says, quote, The days are evil because they are controlled by the God of this age, who opposes God and his kingdom and who will try to prevent any opportunities for the declaration of God's program and purposes. Hence, in this present evil age, believers are not to waste opportunities because this would be useless and harmful to God's kingdom and to those who are a part of it. He goes on, he says, it is interesting to notice that he is not recommending that they fear the present evil age or avoid interaction with it. Rather, his exhortation is to walk wisely in the evil days by seizing every opportunity. Unrelenting warfare exists between the God of heaven and the God of this age. In essence, believers are commanded not to let the God of this age intimidate them, but to take advantage of every opportunity in this immoral environment to live a life that pleases God, end quote. And I think he's absolutely spot on with that. Now, as Christians, we will face ongoing worldly distractions. And that's part of Satan's tactics, that he will throw all sorts of worldly pressures against you. He operates by pleasure or pressure. Uh, you know, so he's going he's gonna to come at you generally with one of those two ways. And the effort is to try to get us to take our eyes off the Lord, 
and to set our eyes upon the world. And uh, remember that, uh, that, you know, when the storms of life come, we are, we are most stable when our mind is upon the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so the word, God and his word are very stable, and they provide an anchor for the soul. Isaiah 26.3 says, The mind that is stayed upon thee shall be kept in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. And so we need to keep our focus upon the Lord. I think of Peter when he was walking on the water. Remember, as long as his eyes were upon Jesus, he, he could walk the walk. But as soon as he began to look at the storm and the waves about him, well, now he begins to sink. Well, he, you know, he had one of two options at that moment. He could either start doing the backstroke, right, and try to get himself out of it, or he could do, which was the wise thing, was to cry out to the Lord, and of course the Lord did save him. So as Christians, we will face ongoing worldly distractions, which are designed by Satan to prevent spiritual growth and hinder our impact for God in this world. Let me say that again. As Christians, we will face ongoing worldly distractions, which are designed by Satan to prevent spiritual growth, because if he can keep you ignorant and he can keep you distracted, then he can hinder your impact uh, for God in this world. Now, as God's children, we have choices to make on a daily basis. And literally, sometimes those choices are moment by moment. Uh, For only we can choose to allow these distractions to stand between us and the Lord. And so we must be disciplined with the time and opportunity that God gives us. We must be disciplined with the time and opportunity that God gives us, learning his word and living by faith so that we can advance to spiritual maturity and serve as lights in a dark world. And so we have to, again, be responsible as stewards of what God places in front of us. Uh, and so we have, to be, we have to be careful with that. And I think of the passage in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, where Paul says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. But that's part of our walk that we are to walk as children of light. Um, So for us as a Christian, we should realize that every moment is precious, that every moment is precious, and we must make sure that our days are not wasted on meaningless pursuits, but on learning God's word, living his will, and loving those whom the Lord places in our path. And again, there's intentionality there. As we come to life seeking to apply the Word of God, not only to our own situation, but also uh, to people that we interact with. And we have various opportunities. You know, I had one here a few weeks ago. I was standing in uh, Walgreens, and I was waiting. And I, I think I shared this. I think I put, did I share this with you guys before? So I'm standing in line, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the back in the pharmacy. There's a bunch of people behind me, and there's one or two people in front of me. And this elderly man comes walking over, and... Um, and, uh, and he, he's, he's wanting to creep in a little bit. And, and I can tell, you know, he's, he's looking kind of feeble. He's, he's, got this, he's got this old dilapidated rollator he's using. 
Uh, didn't look very steady. And he's a big guy. He's like, you know, six foot five and, you know, probably, I guess, 250, 260. Uh, but he comes over and I, I commented to him. I said, I said, those are really handy little devices, aren't they? And he goes, yeah. Well, uh, he starts telling me how he likes it. And I, I know these devices because I hand them out to my clients. I've handed out hundreds of them over, over the last 18 years uh, where I work. And so we're talking about the device and how the brakes work and, you know, how there's a little seat down there and you can lift it up and there's a place to store stuff and how they're, they're really creative. You know, it's really, really insightful stuff. Well, then he starts telling me about how, how, uh, how uh, two years ago he got COVID and uh, how he was near to death. He was near to death. And, uh, and, and he said uh, he was in the hospital uh, for about, I think he said like five weeks or six weeks, six weeks, and then he caught pneumonia, and, and then it got really, really bad. And anyway, he just wasn't sure if he was going to make it. And while he was talking with me, there was a pause, and I said, you know, I said, there's a wonderful verse in Psalm 139, verse 16, uh, where David says, you have ordained all the days of my life, when as yet there was not one of them. And I said, so apparently it was not your time to go. And he looked at me, and he blinked, 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 blinked. And he said, you know, there's a wonderful verse in Psalm that I like too, and it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good one too. That's a good one too. So then we started talking about God. Well, then we started talking about the Bible. And we started talking about Jesus. And uh, finally, after about five minutes of us going back and forth and kind of bouncing scripture back and forth off each other, he made the comment. He said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, I used to teach as a seminary professor over at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I said, really? I said, I'm a graduate of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We stood, uh, stared at each other for a few seconds having a blinking contest. He said, well, I retired in 2007. I said, well, I graduated in 2006. I said, so we were there at the same time. He said, well, I used to teach uh, evangelism. I said, no kidding. I said, I had evangelism. I said, you're Dr. McDowell. He smiled. He said, yes, you can call me Malcolm. <laughs> and, uh, and so then we had this conversation about uh, how God brings people together at, uh, at various times. And so we sat there and we talked scripture. And then finally, you know, after about seven, eight minutes, because the line was moving slow, uh, finally he gets called up and he gets his medication and uh, he gets his, his little bag and he turns around to walk away. And I, I grabbed his hand, I took his hand and I said, I said, Malcolm, it was so nice to meet you again. And I'm, I'm glad we could have this time to, to talk about Christ and he said the same thing, and then he turned around and he walked away. And I turned around and I noticed there was about eight people behind me. And I noticed that they were very quiet the whole time. I didn't even think about it. But they were listening to our conversation. And they got an earful about God, about Jesus, about the Word, about heaven and hell and eternity and all sorts of stuff. And it's one of those occasions where when you're there... Uh, you just, you know, again, and when I was sitting there talking with him and he starts telling me about how he was on the edge of eternity, I don't, I don't, I don't recognize him, but a scripture comes to my mind and I just gently drop it out there. 
And it becomes an opportunity for the door to open. And now all of a sudden we're talking theology and people around are hearing the gospel. And so I went up and I got my medication, you know, you know, cashed out, turned around, walked out. And I thought, you know, that was a divinely appointed opportunity. That was an opportunity. That's making the most of the opportunity. You don't have to manufacture those, by the way. God will create those. And sometimes those may be days apart, sometimes those may be weeks apart or months apart. But when God creates those opportunities, all you have to do is identify it for what it is and step into it and be the responsible person. You must identify the opportunity and just lay hold of it. And don't let it get away from you. And again, it will happen naturally. It's not anything that you have to force to happen. And you know what I'm talking about. You've been in those situations where you've tried to force something and it's as clunky and awkward as all get out. And it feels totally unnatural because it is unnatural. And then there are those times where you'll meet somebody. I, I can be talking to somebody. I remember somebody, uh, I was in a client's home here a few months ago, and we were just talking, and I was just being my normal, friendly, chatty self. And I tell people, look, just heads up, I'm a serial yacker, so once I start talking, I'm not going to stop. So if you have something you got to say, you got to interrupt me. And, you know, and we're kind of playing back and forth. And this woman looks at me, and she goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, well, yes, I am. And she said, I just knew there was something about you. Uh, just something that just made me think that you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. And then we start talking about the Bible. And it was just the most natural, uh, flowing conversation. And those are the things I'm talking about. They just happen organically. You don't have to force it. Those are opportunities that God creates. And when he creates those opportunities, all we have to do is be good stewards and make the most of the time. We have to seize the opportunity and be the light, speak the truth, be loving, be kind, be gracious. <laughs> and so we just have to see those opportunities for what they are and just walk in them. And so that was an example of an opportunity that the Lord created. Again, I didn't have to manufacture that. God made that happen. And I don't know who behind me heard something that they needed to hear. Who, need, who had an encouraging word, who maybe heard about the gospel. I don't know. And, uh, and so anyway, you just, you just take advantage of those opportunities. And so that's, that's, how, we, that's how I understand those, those moments. So every moment is precious. And as believers, again, we must make sure that our days are not wasted, but that we spend our time on learning God's word, living his will, and loving those whom the Lord places in our path. So that is going to finish uh, this lesson. And I'm actually done a little bit early for a change, which is surprising. Because uh, normally I feel like I'm racing to get through my notes. Uh, but anyway, so we're actually done a little bit early. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up with that. Do we have any questions over tonight's uh, discussion? Uh, and hopefully we understand it a little bit better uh, afterwards uh, than before. So we need time to grow. And as we take it and as we see these moments, these occasions, we want to use them as opportunities to be the light and to represent Christ in a fallen world. So any questions? Anybody online or in the group? Nancy, you got a question? opportunities and um, I was just in line at the post office yesterday mm -hmm. and talking to a lady 
in front of me and somehow the conversation led to the fact that we were both Christians and mm -hmm. you know the same thing what was going on in the world and mm -hmm. God's in control okay so you had a, a conversation where you're standing in line you're talking to the lady in front of you yeah. and all of a sudden you're talking about Christ and the world and what's well, going on sure I just didn't think of that as an opportunity I don't know <laughs> But it happens a lot. Sure it does. And God creates those opportunities. I love Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Of course, you think of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then you look at Ephesians 2, 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Catch this which God prepared beforehand that we, that we would walk in them. Which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. In other words, God is going to create those opportunities. Now, good works should follow salvation. They're never the condition of salvation. That's faith alone in Christ alone. That's all we need is Christ because we, all, we, all man needs is Christ to be saved. And so we don't do works to be saved. We trust in the work of Christ. And salvation is never what we do for God. Salvation is what God has done for us through the person and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died upon a cross, who bore our sin, who went into the grave and was raised again, who was resurrected to life on the third day, and who overcame sin and death. And so we believe in him. We trust in him as our Savior. But once we are saved, God calls us to a life of works. And that is something he calls us to grow up. And so, again, good works, though they are never, the, con never uh, the condition of salvation, they are something that should follow as part of our Christian walk. Uh, in fact, Galatians 6.10, Paul says, do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But again, Gal Ephesians 2.10, it talks about how we were created uh, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. God has prepared opportunities for us. And as we're walking by faith, as we're living out the Christian life, uh, we will recognize those opportunities and we will take advantage of them. We will share Christ. And sometimes that's praying for somebody. And sometimes the Lord will put a burden upon my heart to pray for somebody. Sometimes that happens too. So again, we just, we just want to see those opportunities when they, when, when, when they appear, and we just want to take advantage of that. So thank you, Nancy. That's, uh, yeah, sounds like very similar uh, to my experience. You just start talking with somebody about Christ. It's amazing because there's something, uh, you almost feel fellowship with another person. Yes, you do feel fellowship with that person. That's right. I mean, she might be your neighbor in eternity. Yeah. Right? You go on vacation, she'll uh, she'll watch your dog. As she goes on vacation, you can you can you can mow her yard, you see? So you have a very complimentary relationship in eternity. How about that? She might even be your neighbor. Okay. <laughs> All right, any other questions or comments from anybody? Are we good? Okay. All right, well if there's no questions or comments, then I'll close us out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can gather together this evening. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy at the moment, and we know that they are precious, and they seem to be diminishing, Lord. 
You know what's going on in our country. And Father, we want to continue in our walk with you, to learn your word, to live your word, to advance to spiritual maturity. We want to be good stewards of the resources, whatever those resources are that you give to us, whether it's the resource of freedom or a home or, uh, or finances or the resource of time, because we know that our days are limited upon this earth. We know that we're not going to be on this earth forever. And so we have just a limited amount of time, and we want to make the most of the time because the days are evil, and we know that, and we just want to be careful. Father, we pray tonight as we go forth that we will be challenged by the things that we've studied, that we might grow thereby. Father, we thank you. We ask this now in Christ's name. Amen.